Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. We live in a culture that doesn't ever seem to be satisfied, does it? We want more. We want bigger. We want better. We want another better experience than the one that we had before. And this mindset has a curious effect on things around us, doesn't it? Portion sizes are often outlandish. Some items get bigger as the development of the product evolves, but at the same time, if the technology allows it, some items will get smaller because, hey, We want it to be more portable, easier to pocket, things like this. And in some cases, we have items where the internal makings of the device allow it to be bigger because you can add more of of what you want, a bigger battery or whatever. And we know, we know they always have to try and get a bigger screen for the portable billboards we carry in our pockets now. It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. We live in a culture where we feel like there's always something bigger, there's always something better on the horizon for us. Now, when I was younger, this was the case. Anytime there's consumerism, you're going to have this idea that we need something bigger, something better. But when I was younger, now, you kids won't understand this, but when I was younger, we didn't necessarily know that much about the things that were bigger and better were coming. We didn't have websites dedicated to showing us the next model of something the day the current model came out, right? We didn't have the ability to play the next video game, uh, a, a demo of it that we downloaded right away. We had to wait till it actually physically showed up at the store. We didn't know much about uh, anything until it was on the showroom or it was in the store. Now, maybe if it was something that we were a little bit curious about, yeah, you could go buy a magazine to find out what was coming out, the toy, the, the next version of the baseball cards, whatever it was that I was looking for. But you had to buy a magazine. It was a month old practically by the time it came to you. We didn't know all this stuff. We ha- had to speculate, but it was uninformed. We, we were looking for what was bigger and better, but we, we did have to wait. And it's more than just items that we desire to purchase. We also have this idea that things need to be bigger, that they need to be better when it comes to experiences that we have. It's, it's been ingrained in us that we need bigger, we need better everything. We're looking for the most entertaining and fulfilling experience constantly. And I can prove it because we see this in the way that products are marketed to us today. Very rarely is the actual product put out there for us as we should purchase it because it's the best. Think about your favorite carbonated and sugary beverage. How is that marketed to you? Is the emphasis on the taste or on the value or on any tangible benefit to you as a consumer? No. It's on the experience. Those people in the commercials are having a better time than you've ever had in your entire life, aren't they? Nobody's that happy. 
I mean, come on. But that's how things are marketed to us. The experience, the idea is that this fictitious idea of, of how people are having a better time than me is what I'm being sold, right? I'm not that happy. I'm not having that much fun. Maybe if I have a sugary cola with my people, I'll be that happy. I'll be fulfilled. I'll be satisfied. And we can easily find ourselves seeking and not being satisfied in our spiritual quest as well. If we come to our spiritual lives with that same consumerist approach of always needing something bigger, something better, we're never going to feel satisfied, are we? But we know, we believe that Jesus offers us living water, that he offers us the bread of life, and we know that those things satisfy to the uttermost. But yet we often think that we need something more, don't we? Well, as we come to our passage this morning, we see the people needing to be fed. And we find that despite the thousands of people gathered in that place, Jesus is able to satisfy them. And we know that he is able to satisfy us as well. So let's break down this very familiar passage into three segments, and then we'll take a quick dive into it. So first we see that Jesus and the disciples are looking to get away from the crowds, but the crowds track Jesus and the disciples down. Anyway, the disciples were scattered by Jesus to do the work of the ministry of the kingdom. And after they get back, they look to get away, but the masses of people find them. Despite the fact that this wasn't, wasn't excuse me, despite the fact that this wasn't the plan, Jesus welcomes these people. Secondly, we see that the people stay for a long time and the disciples become concerned with how the people are going to be provided for. These people need provisions and they need lodging and this is all happening in a place without much to accommodate a crowd like this. In a twist, the disciples likely didn't see coming. Jesus suggests that they should be the one to provide the food for them. And then finally, we see that Jesus miraculously provides for the people and he is able to satisfy them. Jesus brings what the people need. And this is not only a miraculous event, but it also can, continues to show us the authority and the power that Jesus has. And it shows us the truth that he is bringing something new for the people of God. Well, with those things lined out for us, let's drop in and get to looking at these details. Now, as we look to verse 10, we are reminded of what we would have seen last week. Jesus gathered the disciples together, remember, and he sent them out with the authority to not only teach the message of the kingdom, but also to heal diseases. And we saw that the authority of Jesus now extends beyond just what he had to say, but also to the twelve disciples, who later on would become the means by which the message of the gospel would go out. Think after the ascension of Jesus. And we were also reminded that you and I 
are a called people of God. We are called together each week. We are gathered to hear the word, and then we are sent out to do the ministry of the kingdom. That was our application last week. We, we saw this clearly in that's, that passage. And as we see here, as we start off today, the disciples are once again gathered by Jesus. And it was a successful experience that they've had going out and doing the work of the kingdom because they share with Jesus what they had done. Now it's important that we think about that this is such an important step in the ministry of Jesus, isn't it? As I mentioned last week, they can only get the message to go so far if it's just a bunch of people following Jesus around the countryside. But if they are able to expand the ministry 12-fold with the disciples going out and doing the work of the kingdom, it's a very big deal for the ministry of Jesus. And so to come back and to share with Jesus what's been done and how the message was received was an important step in the process. This is a, this is a big thing. And so we see that Jesus decides to take the 12 away. They, they probably are going to not only share the info about what they did in their ministry work, but I'm guessing they're also planning to decompress a little bit. You know, get away from the masses, put your feet up, I'm guessing the disciples are excited about what they have been doing, but I'm sure they also were tired. I'm sure they need a bit of a break. But they come up against a problem because the crowds learn about where they have gone to do this. Once again, Luke is letting us know just how popular the ministry of Jesus has become because people are keeping their ear to the ground to see where Jesus and his disciples are going. And when they get an accurate report of where he is going, the, the people flock to them. Now this reminds me of, of what I heard once about some NFL team uh, fan bases. Now, a football season, a professional football season, is relatively short. And there are only a few regular season games. And so for the most diehard fans, they have to go to extremes to make the sport last a long time, to, to really be a follower of the team, to know every detail. So researching who a football team might draft and looking for reports in the off-season uh, of, of practices and things like that, this becomes a big deal. Well, I heard once that in some cases, the biggest highlight for the fans was to follow the private plane through public tracking records available through aviation sources. I don't know anything about it. But they would track the plane during free agents to see where they were going to try and speculate who they were going to sign in the off-season for their team. That was keeping your ear to the ground. Well, actually, keeping your ear to the air, I suppose. But they were keeping track of every movement of the team, even going to public aviation records to see where the jet was going to try and speculate who was going to be signed. Now, I'm guessing in their day... They didn't have, I mean, obviously, they didn't have aviation records to travel, but I'm guessing there were people who were like, yeah, Jesus is an interesting guy. Where are they going? I'm going to tell people. I, I want to know where he's at. I want to be around Jesus. There's probably that same fervor in trying to keep track of him and seeing where the disciples are going, seeing where Jesus himself is headed. Where are the crowds going? And so we get this idea here that the word spreads. They follow Jesus out and even to Bethsaida. Now, you can see on this map that I have here, I've circled Bethsaida in white. 
you can see on the map that Bethsaida isn't near much of anything important at all. It seems like a pretty good place for Jesus and his disciples to go on a retreat, right? This is a place to go. This is where you get away. Maybe there's even a retreat center there, right? It's out in a very desolate place, Luke tells us later on. Well, there shouldn't be much going on there. That seems like maybe the reason they picked it, right? But Jesus is going on out there, right? And so people are excited, and the people come. Now, if ever there was a time where maybe Jesus should have turned some folk away and told them to come back another day, maybe this was the time to do that. You know, likely every productivity expert would say that Jesus was doing something excellent by delegating his responsibilities to those under him and sending out those disciples. And my bet is a productivity expert would also say that coming back together and assessing how things went and seeing how your delegation worked and decompressing and and assessing what worked and what didn't is the best plan here. Formulate a new plan and delegate out new responsibilities and go. Take your time. Come together. Decide what works and, and make your ministry more effective. Well, again, I'm so sure most people would tell Jesus to protect this part of the process, to protect their private time and, and focus on developing his disciples. But Jesus doesn't tell the crowds to go away, does he? And he doesn't try to slip off with his disciples to avoid the people. Instead, we read here that he welcomed them. Jesus is hospitable, even when they're tired, even when they're trying to get a break. And not only is he welcoming, but look what Jesus does. He speaks of the kingdom of God. He preaches good news to the people. He comes to them with this good news. And the message is to go out to these people, regardless of whether or not it is a planned event. And Jesus does more than just talk with them and teach them. He cures those who need healing once again. We're being reminded that Jesus has authority to teach in regards to the kingdom of God because he is able to do miracles. His teaching about the kingdom of God to these people is authenticated by the fact that he can heal them. Jesus is a messenger from God, and his message is authenticated by these miracles he's doing. And as the day progresses, a problem presents itself, and that brings us to the second section of the passage that we're looking at, And you can kind of imagine this situation, can't you? Uh, The disciples are worn out from their ministry endeavors. We're probably looking forward to their little retreat. And suddenly everybody shows up and they steal Jesus away from them. And they use a relatively obvious problem to try and clear all the folks that have gathered there out. Send these people away. We're out here in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. There isn't an Applebee's or a Chili's anywhere to be found. There isn't even a Taco John's or a McDonald's. Where where are they going to eat? We're out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus. And there isn't a Motel 6 or a Best Best Western for seven or eight exits up the road. Let's wrap this up here and then let's have our time, right? But Jesus does the unexpected here. 
What the disciples are, su- are suggesting here isn't outrageous. In fact, it's just basic common sense to send people who need food a way to get food because they can't provide for them here. There's no food. There's no lodging. At some point, we need to stop what we're doing here so people can either head back to their homes or get someplace where they can get food and find a place to rest for the night. Totally reasonable here from the disciples. Even if we think it was maybe a little bit selfishly motivated because they're tired and it's the end of the day, they, there's nothing really rude or extreme about this request that they're making of Jesus here. But Jesus has a response of all responses for his disciples here. You give them something to eat. Now that's impossible. It's a desolate place. There are no supplies. Even if they were to go to the lake and have another miraculous catch of fish like we saw earlier in Luke, how would they prepare food for this many people? Even if they had the ingredients to make bread, how would they prepare it for this many people and in this desolate place? This is an extremely interesting thing for Jesus to say because they have just been out doing the work of ministry. They've been given the authority to preach and do miracles. And so now Jesus is saying, hey, you've done miracles before. Why don't you you feed this mass of humanity? And notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't ask them a question. This is a command. You feed them. There's a sense here where this has all come to a point where Jesus is able to use this here as a final exam for the disciples on their ministry training. You've gone out, you've proclaimed the message of the kingdom, you've healed people, you've cast out demons. Let's see if you can pass the final exam here, friends. And as usually the case, the disciples don't get it. We've got five loaves and two fish here, Jesus. Their answer is, this is insurmountable. And of course, it is. That That's the point, right? That's the point. This is insurmountable. If it was easy to provide food for 5,000 men, they would have just done it. And we need to remember that this isn't 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men. The women and children would need to be fed as well. This could very easily be 10,000 folk. This is a staggering amount of people in one place. Have you ever been to a large event and you've wondered how many people are there and and you decide you're going to try to count them? And, and you get to 20 or 30, and, you, you, and then they start to move, and, and you can't tell one head from the other, and you're like, I just give up. You just, you just give up. Quickly, you would realize how many people are here if you tried to count them. Regardless of, of the exact head count that day in Bethsaida with the, the men, the women, and children, we know that this is a staggering amount of people. This is an insurmountable thing that they have to do. There's no human way that they can all be fed. Now, maybe with a plan and modern refrigeration and heating methods, we could sort out feeding a few hundred pretty easily. Think about Think about the preparation that goes into our larger meals with our families or, or church fundraisers or a community burger feed or a pancake feed. We have gas griddles and grills, and, and there's, it's still difficult to pull this off. We have to plan. We have to make sure we have the supplies. We have to make sure we have the infrastructure we need to pull it off, right? This is impossible here. 
And Jesus is making sure they understand this. Jesus is going to remind them that anything is possible with him. But as I said, the disciples don't see this. They've got five loaves. They've got two fish. That isn't going to work. So their other suggestion is to go out and buy them all food. And that won't work either. They don't have the money. There aren't any buffets around. I doubt there's any you know, mega grocery stores around to get stuff. There's no way to accommodate this many folk. Again, insurmountable. And the mood that comes out of the text for us is the unbelief of the disciples. These are guys who just went out and did all this amazing ministry work, but they don't understand what it is that Jesus is doing and what he is capable of. And we are brought right along with the disciples here, though, aren't we? Imagine you were hearing this story for the first time. You've heard of Jesus calming the storm. You're also aware of his casting out demons and healing all types of diseases. While those are amazing miracles, the logistics of this one are different, aren't they? It involves so many people. Right along with the disciples, you and I, if we were there, would naturally say, send those people home and tell them to make a sandwich. This is insurmountable. But that isn't what Jesus does. He once again shows his power, and he shows his authority. He shows that he is divine as he solves the dilemma that is before them. And so Jesus has the people, we read this here, that he has them sit in groups of about 50. Not, not sure why he did this, but now we know how they probably felt confident about using the number 5,000 men. They divided people up into 50, and they probably multiplied it out. A lot easier to count people than my suggestion that you just count heads, right? Anyway, the disciples do what they're told. And then Jesus looks up into heaven, and, and he says a blessing over them. Obviously, one of the most substantial meal prayers ever prayed. He breaks the bread, and we find that it multiplies. As with any miracle, we, we really don't know the details on how it happens here. We don't know if it just kept on appearing in the baskets or what, but we see that Jesus is able to provide and to feed all these people, this mass of humanity. And this situation is going to naturally call to mind another biblical event for you and I. Remember the mass of people in the wilderness when they were hungry. Their situation was impossible as well. Where were they going to get enough food for the people in the Exodus out there in the wilderness? It wasn't going to happen. The people believed that they were going to starve. Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness so that we could starve to death? But what happened? God provided for them. God was also able to provide bread and quail in the wilderness as he provided for these people. And so here we see the divinity of Jesus on display for us once again. I always remind us, people will make the claim that Jesus never claims to be divine or that the Gospels don't make the claim that Jesus is divine, but yet he does divine things. He does things that only God can do. And so while God worked through Moses, where did the bread come from? The bread came from heaven. But here Jesus is actively involved himself in providing bread and fish for the people gathered here at Bethsaida. It's clear for us so that we can see who Jesus is. 
Now Moses brought the message of the covenant to the people. And his authority to bring that message was authenticated by the miracles that God did through him. But now, we have Jesus bringing the new covenant. And it's clear for us that he is a messenger from God. But it's even more clear that Jesus is so much more than just a messenger from God. He is divine. And so we should listen to him. We should accept his authority. But that's not, that's not the only thing that we see in this miracle. Because we also read that they all eat and they are satisfied. And that's very significant for a host of reasons. First, this is the first century. Did anybody eat until they were satisfied? Right? A significant number of people were malnourished to begin with. For many people uh, that were there that day, that may be the most substantial meal they had eaten in a very, very long time. Maybe in their life. Jesus is able to provide for them in a way that they are unlikely able to provide for themselves. And also it means that everyone didn't get a small morsel. And then they were told to go supplement with what they had at home. This wasn't a parent giving a kid a snack in the car to hold them over till they get home so they don't have to stop at a fast food place on the way, right? This was a full meal that satisfied the people. Jesus provides to the uttermost. Jesus provides for the people, and it's sufficient, and it's satisfying. And before we close up and look to our application for today, there's one other detail that we want to pay attention to in the text. The number of baskets left over is 12. This not only lets us know that The twelve disciples got the message. You're provided for. You're giving this here. You feed them. Jesus is sending the message directly to them. There are enough baskets for all of you. I not only provided for all these people, but there's enough for you. But it's also a truth that, that Jesus is making a message here for the people of Israel. It recalls back to the 12 tribes. There's 12 disciples, there's 12 tribes. And Jesus here is the bringer of a new manna, of a new covenant. He is bringing this to the people of God. And the idea here is that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that stuff in the Old Testament. And on top of it all, he's even better than that. He is greater. He is the one that all of those things, all that stuff from the past, pointed to. And so He is the one that we should put our faith and our trust in. He is the one. And so as we come to the end of the passage and we look to applying it to our lives, as I said when we opened, we live in an age of never being satisfied. We need the next big thing, the next big experience, and there's always a need for more and more and more. Yet as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're called to believe in the sufficiency of what Jesus has provided for us and what he has done for us. But still, we are prone to go looking for spiritual fulfillment wherever we can find it, looking for bigger and better. But yet the Lord provides us with the bread of life. He provides us with his word. What we have in the gospel and what we have in his word is more than sufficient to satisfy us. We can eat and be filled with His Word. 
As we have seen over and over in the book of Luke, Jesus is the one. He is the Messiah who has come to save his people. He is going to suffer. He is going to die. He is going to bear the wrath of God. He is going to rise again and ascend to the Father's right hand. And that is sufficient. That will satisfy his people. And he has the authority. And he has all that we could ever need because he is the God who provides for his people. And so may you and I daily trust in the sufficiency of his word and in his sacrificial death for our sins. And may we be satisfied in a world that is constantly wanting to be filled that is the only thing that can truly fill us. That's the only thing that can truly provide for our lives. That can give us true satisfaction. So as we depart from here this week, and as we head out into God's world in service, may we remember that we have been fed with His Word. May we rest in the true satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.